so often we seek experiences of God or seek experiences of Christ. And and I think we fall into what I like to call an experience trap. Seek the relationship, seek and seek a continual connection with God and Christ, and then the experiences will come along. Soul Care Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Gotthardt, and I'm part of the Wellspring team. At Wellspring and Soul Care, we deeply desire to see pastors, leaders, really everyone, lead and serve God and other people out of a well-tended inner life. It's no stretch to say that the times we're living in are challenging, demanding, and pulling at us in all kinds of directions, and it's so important that we lead from a whole and well-tended inner being and especially those who are leading others. So I'm so excited about the conversation we get to have today with Trevor Hudson. Trevor is such a gifted person, but he is a gift. A longtime pastor in South Africa, also uh, leads and teaches others uh, the Ignatian exercises, which you'll hear a little bit more about. But his latest book, Seeking God, which is, has kind of a double meaning, both us seeking God and the God who is seeking us, is really about not a bit of his own journey in uh, learning from both Dallas Willard and from Ignatius, even uh, many thousands of years later. But what a gift this book is and this conversation is. I think you're going to enjoy it a lot. Here's Trevor Hudson. Trevor, again, such a gift to be with you and and just to see you. I get to see you at least on this uh, medium and um, and then we get to hear your voice. But um, I'll, I'll just jump in into your uh, talking about your, your latest book, Seeking God, and and ask you what what prompted you to write this book at this time? Uh, just to say, Richard, good to uh, good to be with you, and also uh, just a shout out to all those who are listening in, and just grateful to to each person listening in. I really need to say uh, thank you to Debbie. Debbie's the woman I'm married to for the idea of the book. Um, I, it must have been about seven seven years ago. She said to me, Trevor, you know, I know what the theme of your next book's going to be, and I was really intrigued. And I was intrigued because she she uh, she doesn't read anything that I write, and so I was rather intrigued that uh, she knew what the theme of my next book was going to be. And when I asked her, "What is you now? What do you think that? What do you think I should write about?" And she said, "I think you should write about seeking because uh, you know, ever since I've known you, you've been a, a bit of a spiritual seeker." So she put the uh, the idea of seeking. Uh, into my own mind and heart, and um, and also, you know, there's a sense in you know in which the title is a little bit of a play on words. <clears throat> Not only do we seek God, but we also know that God, God is the seeking God who who seeks us as well. 
Uh, we seek the God who seeks yeah. us. That's wonderful. I love the the that play on words. I mean, as I thought about it, and maybe it just shows you where my thinking uh, is, as I thought about myself, or I want to be one who seeks God, but that know that we have a God who is a seeking God, who's seeking after sure. us. Um, and of course, in the subtitle, so this isn't giving anything away, you, you are bringing together two disparate people. They're se separated by centuries of time. Sure. Um, Dallas Willard, who we have referred to often on this podcast, and um, and you had a, a significant personal connection with Dallas. And then Ignatius of Loyola, who um, you didn't obviously have a personal connection with because he lived a long, long time ago. But what what was it about these two people that made you want to kind of combine their voices, if you will, in this book on seeking God? Oh, Richard, I think uh, I think the main reason, and there there are a few reasons, but the main reason simply being that both those uh, both both those voices have been so significant uh, in my own life, and. Uh, and I, w I was always intrigued by the fact that 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 there was a sense in which, while they were separated in so many ways in terms of background and um, <clears throat> time, there were similar themes, and you know similar themes in their in their emphases. Uh, so I, I wanted to bring I wanted to bring them together. Um, I think another reason, Richard, is that I, I guess I wanted to offer a little bit of a bridge between a Catholic voice and a Protestant voice, an ancient voice and a, and a modern voice. And I, 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 yes, I just wanted some, some of, you know, somehow to build this bridge uh, maybe there might be some Catholic folk who read the book and they get introduced to Dallas and uh, maybe some folk who perhaps have been deeply influenced by Dallas will be introduced, um, you know, to Ignatius. Uh, so so th that was another reason. And then I think, you know, the book does follow kind of the outline of the spiritual exercises um, and while obviously, you know, reading the book doesn't mean you go through the exercises, I'm also hoping that the book will um, will get people thinking a little bit about, you know, about the spiritual exercises themselves uh, for their own lives. So I think those are the three main reasons, uh, you know, for bringing those two voices together. Well, I wanted to pick up on, well, in fact, actually, let me lean in on the Ignatius and the exercises theme. For those that are listening and may not be as familiar, can you speak a little, give us a maybe a brief synopsis so when people say Ignatius's spiritual exercises or they just hear spiritual exercises, can sure. you give us kind of a brief mm, syn sure. uh, synopsis yeah. of what that is? Yeah, I think I think the spiritual exercises, the, the book itself, of the exercises can almost be described as a, a kind of manual, um, uh, a kind of Christ-centered, gospel-based uh, journey for people. Um, 
the, the exercises themselves arose out of Ignatius's own experience, uh, you know. So he didn't put these together sitting in a, in an office, but he reflected on he reflected on his own, you know, his own desire to come to know and love and follow Christ, and and out of the reflection that Ignatius uh, did upon his own life, these exercises emerged. Um, so it's, they really are a series of exercises which, which have a focus in Christ, are largely based upon the Gospels, um, and they can, they can be done in one of two ways. You can either do them you know, in a 30-day retreat, a residential retreat, um, very few people can get away for a 30-day residential retreat. Or you can do them in daily life, uh, setting aside maybe an hour in the morning or five, ten minutes in the evening. And then someone, as it were, gives you the exercises. So there is someone who gives you the exercises and you do the exercise. And I, and I, <clears throat> I think it's important for me to say that because the exercises are not to be read. Um, in fact, the, the, mm-hmm. bo- the book itself d- makes for terrible reading. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and I'm not encouraging anyone who's listening to this to go out and read the exercises. Um, they they are they are the exercises are to be given and they are to be done, um, yeah. And I was able I had the real I had the privilege of being taken through I had the privilege of being taken through the exercises in 1990 and they had a they had a very deep uh, deep formative uh, impact on my own life and uh, and it's been my huge privilege to be able to give them over the years. Uh, to uh, to people, so uh, I, I I myself am a student of the exercises because they're just such a they really are a treasure, which Ignatius gives to us. Well, and um, I don't think you say this in the book, Trevor, but it's it's not just that you've walked through them and given them to a number of people over the years, but I believe you now do training for others, including Jesuit priests who give the exercises. Is that correct? Right. For the last about 10 years now, I've joined together with the Jesuit Institute here in South Africa, and uh, we offer training uh, for those who've done the exercises and who would like to be trained in giving the exercises. Mm. And that's an online training event, which Mm. we do each year, and also contributes to a doctorate of uh, a doctorate of ministry at at um, uh, Richmond. So, hmm. um, so yes, so that's and, and uh, doing it on doing the training online. The the added bonus is you have people coming together, as it were, you know, literally from around the world. I think on this present program. We've got folk from the States and Canada and the UK and South Africa and uh, New Zealand. So it's really a, a kind of a lovely, diverse group.
One of the themes that obviously runs through both the exercises and Dallas's work and your and this book is is a lot to do with how we stay connected to God, stay connected to Jesus. Uh, you you reference Dallas and uh, Willard in a couple of different places, saying, "Can keep the Lord continually before you," and of course Ignatius is talking about how do we stay connected to the person of Christ in our in our lived experience now can you can you talk a little bit about that that idea of it, it's not new for most Christians to hear stay connected to Jesus but but you're talking we're in this we're talking at a, at a in a different lived reality a daily reality of connection with Jesus can you can you speak to that a little bit Yes, thank you, Richard. And I think that's a. I think you've raised a critical question, uh, and right at the beginning of the book, I, I, I quote from a, an excerpt of a of a of a letter that I received from Dallas, and it was a, a letter that really, really was really helpful for me to receive, where he encouraged me to 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 really seek God wholeheartedly and not so much to seek an experience of God. And that Mm. distinction was very, very helpful for me. Um, You know, that I think so often we seek experiences of God or seek experiences of Christ. And... And I think we fall into what I like to call an experience trap. Um, and I think what Dallas helped me and encouraged me was, look here, Trevor, stay, seek an ongoing interactive relationship with God, with Christ. Seek the relationship. Seek and seek a continual connection with God and Christ. And then the experiences will come along. Um, and they'll most probably be different to anyone else's experiences. And I think, I think that focus has been really helpful for me over the years to keep my focus on Christ rather than on an experience of Christ. And I think in the book, what I hope to do I seek to in I seek to bring the reader into an interactive relationship through the book with with God and especially with God as God comes to us in Christ. Um, and then I try I'm trusting that as we keep that focus, we will have those experiences that we need to have. Uh, and they're going to be different. They're going to be different to anyone else's experience, because God deals with us so you know so uniquely. Yeah, there's and you undo unpack that in through so, so several different beautiful lenses. And one of the things that I I loved is throughout the book you have what you call seeking exercises and opportunities, and they're just very practical and specific things to do. I wanted to focus on a couple of those uh, uh, lenses, if you will, for seeking God. Uh, one is this idea of a colloquy. That's a nation hmm. um, um, term. Well, I don't know if he came up with it, mm-hmm. but the 
Right. The the kind of dialogue we uh, that we can have with God on a just a a, a regular basis. Um, I'll I'll say this that for me growing up in church, the idea I was told was that I God spoke to me through the scripture and the scripture only and anything else was probably suspect. Others might have a background where they sense God speaking to them in sure. different ways. But, but this whole idea of hearing from God um, for many is uh, maybe they have concerns or how can I trust or, or know if I'm hearing from God, can you speak to how do, how sure. do you sense God, sure. Uh, inviting us to dialogue with him in in the in the re, the daily reality of life right right sure yeah again richard a huge huge question and i, I hope i can be helpful i think for me the idea of colloquy which is an ignatian term for intimate conversation um, I think the basic idea underlying an intimate conversation with Christ through an Ignatian lens is the whole idea, and I hope this makes sense for those listening, is the whole idea of mutual self-revelation. Um, mm. And by that I mean that in an intimate conversation with Christ, I reveal, I reveal myself to Christ. I tell, I share with Christ what is going on in my life. And many people will say to me, Trevor, but why do that? Because he already knows what's going on in your life. And then I constantly have to say, this isn't about giving Christ information that he hasn't got about my life. It's not about that. It's about revealing myself. It's, it's almost giving him access to, to my experience. Uh, and I often use the analogy, you know, that that sometimes I may know what's going on in, in my children's life because I'm their father. But when they, tell, when they tell me or share with me what's going on in their life, they almost give me access for my love and my care to enter their life more deeply. And I think that is the deep underlying uh, the deep underlying conviction of colloquy or intimate conversation with Christ, that as I reveal myself and what's going on in my life with Christ, I'm giving him intimate access into my life for Christ to reveal himself to me in my own experience, to reveal his grace and his mercy and his guidance, etc. So it's that idea, that deep idea of mutual self-revelation, which I think lies at the heart of intimacy, even in a human relationship. It's when two human beings reveal themselves to each other that that friendship and relationship deepens. And I think something similar happens in our relationship with the Lord as well.
in the book, Trevor, you, you just draw a distinction between two kinds of life. This is early in the book. You talk about a, a zoe. These are two Greek words, a zoe life and a kind of a bios life. And could you, could you speak to that distinction a little bit? Right. You know, the, you know that in, you know, in Greek there are these, you know, these two words for life and uh, bios, almost our, our uh, biological life, our uh, perishable life, our, uh, you know, the life that is slowly deteriorating. <laughs> and I get a reminder of that every time I look into the mirror. Uh, but, but, you know, that, that, but that there's another kind of life as well. And that's a, a Zoe life or eternal life or the life that God gives us. And this life is an, is mm. a, uh, an imperishable life, an indestructible life. And, and for me, it's, you know, so when Jesus says, I've come to bring you mm. life or I've come, he's not talking mm. about bios life. He's talking about zoe life. And, and, and I, what, what I seek to do in the book uh, is to really unpack what this zoe life may look like. And, 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 you know, just kind of some of the threads of this life that, that Christ brings to us um, in himself. And that as we come to know him and as we come to love him and follow him, so we, so we step into this I life. I love that. In uh, fact, you talk about this even in a, 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 a statement that you said, Dallas, will encourage you to look in the mirror each day and say, and maybe you could um, tell us what that, that statement is about just the nature of, your, of, of life that he encouraged you to, uh, to, to inhabit, if you will. Right. You know, that he had this, you know, ob you know obviously we are, um, we are human beings and we come from dust mm. and we're going to return to dust. And that's a very deep reality about our bios life. Uh, but that there's another dimension as well to who we are, you know, that, uh, and this is what that, that beautiful sentence that Dallas often uses and encourages us often to use that we're at another level. We are also unceasing spiritual beings and that we have a, we have a, an eternal destiny mm. uh, in God's great universe. Uh, and, and I think what he was doing is with that, he was encouraging us to have a, a perspective that is determined not only by bios life, but also but by zoe life. Mm. Um, that we are brought into this yeah. eternal kind of life. Yeah. Uh, in and it Christ. seems tragic, I guess, in light of that, that many of us, even as children of God, as followers of Jesus, that we maybe maybe don't inhabit, if you will, often the, the available availability of this kind of Zoe life. And so much of what the book is about, in fact, you used, you came back to this phrase a couple of times, it doesn't have to be this way. There are there is this invitation to this this wider sure. and deeper and and uh, the flourishing, if you will, kind of life that Jesus talked about. Um, 
but at the same time, um, th- there's, and it's interesting, we're recording this here today. This is Monday, Thursday. We're in Holy Week. And so it seems fitting that is, is later in the book, you talk about, there's a chapter called Dying to Live, which is about the, if we're going to, you know, the, the um, paradox that Jesus lays out before us, if we're going to live this kind of life, there's a, we, he invites us to come and die. But that, that statement, you know, um, take up your cross and follow me. Um, that's, there's been a, seems like a lot of confusion or even misunderstanding about it. Could you, could you weigh in on that? What does it mean for us to take up our cross, to die to self and follow Jesus into this kind of Zoe life? Right. As you say, I think it's it, it. I think this whole idea of dying to live can go down one of two pathways, uh, and I think the unhelpful pathway is to is to interpret the call of Jesus to die as a call to kind of end our lives <laughs> you know and and obviously obviously our life is precious uh, god values our life and we are called to value the life that um, that we have that has been given to us <clears throat> but on the other hand i th- there is it would seem a very real call to die to to die to those things which keep us from entering into mm-hmm. the life that God wants to give us. You know, that my life is, my life is as it were, is riddled with attachments and addictions. It's, um, it's, it's riddled with my own, um, my own self-centeredness and self-interest. And and all these things, all these things can can block us and can block me from entering into the life that God does want to give us. So I think the call the call to die is a call to die to those things which which sabotage my experience of the life that God would like to give us. And for me, that is. That dying to live is a mystery that lies at the heart of my daily life with Christ. That I'm constantly, I'm constantly dying to that which, um, which gets in the way of me experiencing more fully the, the life, the Zoe life that God wants to give us. Yeah, that's so so important and helpful. I think because sometimes we can take this call to to come and die as just this over the top uh, idea of just uh, self sacrifice, and certainly there is sacrifice involved in following Jesus. But it is, but I think to to put it in the context of an invitation to to die to those things that are not life, and to to enter in more fully with Jesus into that which is truly life. Um, and then the following that, that chapter though, you talk about, which again, here we are in, in Holy Week and 
coming up on Easter Sunday, but you talk about a resurrection joy. And I'll just say this chapter was very um, significant for me personally, because you related some of your own journey with longing for joy. And joy has been a an elusive, uh, let's say, quality or experience in my own life and journey. And I, one, I was just sort of comforted knowing, well, Trevor has, has struggled with that too. But can you can you just talk talk because you're you're very personal in this in this chapter? Could you talk about your own um, journey to experience greater joy in your life? Oh, again, mm. yeah, thank you, Richard, just for picking that up. And um, again, I, I, I you know I, it goes back quite some time, and I. I'm just trying to work out on the spot maybe what I can share helpfully now. Um, I think I need to say thank you to Dallas here because he Mm. picked up a certain gloominess uh, in my own own relationship with God. And I think it's bound up Mm. with a whole lot of personality Mm. factors and temperament and, and my own history as well. And also living within a very painful context here in South Africa. So I can almost say there was a kind of a joy deficit in my life. Um, and, and he really challenged me very deeply um, to, to be open to the, to, to, to the joy that, that, you know, that was in Christ and that is in Christ and that Christ wants to share with us. Um, and it it coincides also with that when one does the exercises in the last week of the exercises, and you will know this from your own experience, we ask for the grace of joy, and we ask for the grace to enter into the the joy that Jesus Himself experienced when He was raised from the grave. So for me, the, um, the, this has been a, a bit of a life, this has been a 20-year 20 20 long journey of really opening my own <laughs> gloomy life to the joy of God and to the joy of Christ. Um, and and, and I, it's been a gradual experience. I still have, it's kind of three steps mm-hmm. forward, two back. Um, but I think my family have come to. I think my family have come to know me as a little bit more of a joyful person over these past uh, fifteen years or so, and uh, and uh, and I put a, a a lot of that down to to I put a lot of that down to my to my ongoing engagement with the risen Christ. And my ongoing desire to know something of his joy in my life uh, before I die. Yeah, in fact, you talk in the chapter quite a bit about, in, in really, in a sense, inhabiting. You said that the, even the resurrection uh, narratives that we see in the Gospels, you said uh, you describe them as having become kind of your your favorite place to to be in Scripture sure. and to dwell. Can you talk about how and and what does it mean to sort of for you to in indwell those stories? They're not more those narratives. 
And how does that, how has that increased your joy? Uh, yeah, you, you, Richard, you know, um, if, if you were to, if I had to, if I was asked to take one part of the Bible and uh, I was limited, I would limit myself to the resurrection narratives. Um, mm. And I think I would because, uh, you know, every resurrection story, the disciples are in a bad way. Uh, mm. You know, Mary's crying, Thomas is doubtful. The disciples are fearful. The Emmaus Road pilgrims are hopeless. Peter's in a place of failure. So th I can identify so deeply with those resurrection narratives uh, and, and kind of the negative spaces that the people were in, in those spaces. And yet... In each of those spaces, uh, Christ, the risen one, comes to us. And I think that's why I'm drawn so deeply to those resurrection stories, because they remind me that they remind me again and again and again that Christ meets us in the most negative spaces of our lives. Uh, and 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 that's one of the reasons why I'm drawn to them, and uh, mm, mm. I constantly I constantly find myself dwelling in one of those stories, just to remind myself again that you know Christ comes to me in these negative spaces, as it were. Yeah, and I and and then of course that ties in so much to the. And you, and you do such a wonderful job with this in this chapter of not just articulating the stories that maybe we've, maybe we've read many times, but to actually sure. uh, place ourselves there, to identify with the, 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 the people and the emotion and just allow ourselves to be part of that, if you will, that story. And it seems like that as you've done that, it's like Jesus has met you personally. Is that is that would that be accurate to say? Yes, it is accurate. You have you've got me on that one, Richard. Yes, and it's like keeping one foot in the gospel story, keeping the other foot in what I'm going through, and keeping myself open to a fresh encounter with the one who lives beyond crucifixion. You know, with the risen Lord. Um, so it's been really important. I think this, that's why these resurrection stories have, have just been so important for me. Yeah. It's, I, I just personally, like I said, found that chapter very rich, uh, and meaningful and find myself saying, well, I, I think I need to inhabit those, um, those narratives more deeply and return to them. So thank you for that. I, there's so much here, and I, I encourage people to get the book and, and read this for themselves. Thank you for joining us for today's conversation. If you found it helpful, feel free to share this podcast with others and subscribe to it on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you found us, and give us a rating. We'd really appreciate that as well. 
Again, if we can serve you as part of Wellspring, we are here to serve the church, both its leaders and people in whatever ways we can. So go to wellspringca.org to see what resources we have to offer and how you can be served by them. Go to our Facebook page, just search Wellspring on Facebook and you'll see lots of resources there as well. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, grace and peace.